0: This is
1: Shannon in Durham,
0: Chip in Durham,
1: and Erica in Edmonton, and you are listening to the audio guide to Babylon Five, episode seventy-five, Racing Mars. Wow, we're at another big number, seventy-five. Woo! Three quarters of the way to a hundred. Like diamond.
0: Now that's Mars racing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, we are um, back for yet another episode of uh, the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 as we watch uh, episode by episode, piece by piece, and pull it all apart and stick it all back together again. Uh, And we are up to the episode, Racing Mars, where uh, we will talk about in a second what you need to know and what's in the episode. But uh, first impression I had watching this one again, I feel like we've made... We finished the transition, if you will, from the, the Shadow War to uh, like 100% really focused on Earth um, and Earth's issues. I'm not sure if you guys felt the same way. It just suddenly felt like a switch got flipped at some point and we had moved on to the next phase of the story. You know,
2: I didn't. Like notice that uh, overtly, but now that you say it, yeah, it does. It does feel like it, but I would say less of a, a, a switch being flipped and more mm-hmm. of a uh, just a, an elegant transition that I didn't even notice happening, and suddenly here we are.
0: Yeah, okay. and th- there's that moment where poor Marcus discovers that he's a war hero and nobody knows about it. Yeah, and and that's actually kind of cool because it does sort of. Put a pin in the fact that uh, this story, at least for now, is over, and mm-hmm. a new story is is thoroughly underway. Um, but yeah, the the Shadow War was so big, so grandiose, so awesome. It makes perfect sense in story reasons that uh, most people on Earth and Mars, and who were nowhere near the conflict, would have no idea that this stuff was going on. And that's actually kind of cool. It would have been the easiest thing and the laziest thing in the world to say, you know, everybody in the universe knows about this thing.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Never that easy. Yep. Never that easy. Okay. Um, the other thing I had thought, and, and I, I think I will have thoughts <laughs> once we get into that section of it, but I feel like JMS has a little room to breathe again. Um, within the episode, and include a few extra bits and pieces, and some of them I am very grateful for, and a couple of them i 'm not so sure about but hmm, I are look you hearing that, about that
0: <laughs> are you saying that j m s is being goofy again?
1: yes, <laughs> yes i am
0: <laughs> i'm okay with that for the most part.
1: For the most part I am too, but once in a while it just sometimes I start cringing.
0: Are so. we going to create a taxonomy of goofy moments and which ones are acceptable and which ones are not?
1: <laughs> I'm know, down with that. Somebody will read it.
0: Somebody <laughs> somebody
1: will listen to it. Okay. Okay. Um but anyway, let's uh get through our intros so we can get into pulling everything apart. Uh first off, what you need to know Babylon 5 is trying to deal with its long-term supply problems as a result of embargoes by an authoritarian-governed Earth. Babylon 5 has sent Marcus and Stephen to Mars to make contact with the resistance there. Garibaldi chose to resign his command post immediately after the end of the Shadow War and has begun to be more critical of Sheridan. In this episode... Ivanova forces Sheridan to take a couple of days off while she comes up with a solution for getting supplies into the station. With free time on his hands, Sheridan, number one, gets into not one, but two all too public arguments with Garibaldi, and two, finds himself doing yet another dating slash mating ritual with Delenn. Woohoo. Garibaldi gets approached by suspicious people who want to help Sheridan and save the resistance from what they see as the megalomania of one man. Garibaldi winds up agreeing to assist them, and Marcus and Stephen make it to Mars, but find that the Resistance has been compromised. One of their trusted men, Captain Jack, has had this squid-like thing on his neck for a while. And that brings us to Racing Mars, Um, JMS writing the episode, of course, as he has been for a while, directed by Jesus Trevino. Uh, who did several key episodes already, such as Divided lo- Loyalties, Interludes and Examinations, uh, also did Sick Transit Veer. So he he, he knows Babylon 5 a little bit. Um, so uh, we already talked about a few things. Any other first impressions before we start looking at different plot threads?
0: I think it's a really well-directed episode. Um mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed it. Uh and a lot of a lot of the camera w- movement, uh rack focused stuff, um just character, very character focused uh mm-hmm. episode and direction um and and I thought and I thought that was great. It gets it, it gets a lot of work done even though this isn't the most eventful episode that we've had. Um You know, it feels like a lot of setup for future plot elements and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, uh, and yeah, I think Jesus Trevino's direction – Manages to hold my interest through quite a lot,
2: and and unlike the direction that other people have had to do in the history of Babylon Five, Jesús Trevino gets to direct Babylon Five on sets that are not on Babylon Five. That was one thing that Stephen was very mm-hmm. excited about. True, was, was that we had all of this stuff happening on Mars, which was mm-hmm. I mean exciting to him. I think from a plot standpoint too, but I think even more exciting from a this is different from usual, this is different direction, uh, this is this is new and exciting standpoint.
1: Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Um and it and it's a good time. Yeah, we now that we've gotten through the shadow war and gotten through those things, um it makes sense to uh physically move back towards earth as they start um working on uh taking down the clock regime. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see that. Um,
0: yeah. Um it's uh, it, and we've talked about this a little bit before, uh but it's so it's so nice to sort of get back to it's not exactly Babylon 5's formula, but even, it's it's especially apparent in this episode that we're not in the uh full tilt. Let's clear the decks of the plot stuff that we were at in the beginning of this episode. This in the beginning of this season, it feels much more like this is um not rushed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're back to four different plot threads being uh checked in on or established here so mm-hmm. yeah this did feel uh a lot more like what we think of as Babylon 5 episodes yeah um uh, the biggest one i think of course is uh the mars storyline uh where we've got uh Marcus and Steven trying to make contact with the resistance um i find I love Richard Biggs and Jason Carter together. I mean, yes, Jason Carter can act against a paper bag and make it look good, but he and Richard Biggs especially play off each other really, really well. I just love it. Mm -hmm.
0: The dry delivery of, and that's when I shot him, Your Honor, from Richard (laughs) (laughs) Biggs.
1: Yes. I mean,
0: that's that's the perfect marriage of the line and the actor right there. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And speaking of marriage, uh Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one of my favorite things uh in just in maybe all of Babylon five is the idea that you have this I mean these two male characters who are being told that they have to pretend that they're married and there is no hint of homophobia in here right. whatsoever all you get is like you know to talk about the, dry the delivery. marriage jokes yeah you get mar- yeah. you get eye rolls and, and you know yeah. <laughs> poor Stephen is just going oh i have to be married to this guy this guy that i've just spent two weeks with you know boxes more boxes even more boxes like it's just yeah. it's perfect and neither one of them seemed terribly upset by it just sort of annoyed except of course marcus is just he's going whole hog and it is so <laughs> delightful
1: <laughs> i love it yeah it's it's perfect because you know th- this if it happened that the two characters one of them was a, a, a female the jokes would be exactly the same mm-hmm the the jokes would run exactly the same of you know of you know wedding and in laws and you know all the things that they mention absolutely nothing would have changed. I just think this particular thing JMS was absolutely brilliant to toss this in as you know. By the time we get to this century, guys, homophobia is going to be a thing of the past and well, it's not going to matter anymore.
0: And here's the thing: if this were made today. There would be absolutely nothing brave about that at all. This right. is 20 True. years ago. Mm-hmm. True. Um And this is not long after JMS had to play a little more cautious than perhaps we would have liked about the relationship between Ivanova and Talia. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, but at this point, he just handles it. He, he just takes care of it just straight on. There's not a... Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of winking and nodding going on. The humor from the situation is because it's Steven and Marcus, not because it's two guys. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. And the idea exactly. that they could be married is not commented upon. It's just, you know. At all. We were able to get two two identicards for a married couple and it's two guys. So here you go, enjoy. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I absolutely loved that bit. Um I also think thought- Jason Carter's
0: expression when uh when Captain Jack brings out and says married couple and his expression is just devilish. Uh-huh.
1: uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to have fun with this. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um I also think uh this particular storyline um is supported by generally strong uh guest actors. Um, I, I I could not pin it down. Uh, the guy playing the second in command, um, Clayton Landy. I mean, I felt like, you know, the dialogue itself was strong. He was saying all the right things for the position he was in, Mm -hmm. but man, his accent was making my teeth grit a couple of times. Oh, really? See, the accent that was
2: making my teeth grit was Donovan Scott as Captain Jack, because it kept changing from line to line. That is the worst worst british accent i think i've ever seen on television it was so bad yeah we looked him up he's from la surprise surprise
0: (laughs) i didn't i i haven't spent a whole lot of time in texas or with texans so i had no basis for judging the authenticity of clayton landy's accent yeah same here Uh, so yeah i don't
1: know how authentic it is i just know it it just, what have you it got against
0: Texans Shannon? What have you got against Texans?
1: <laughs> anyway, um <laughs> um no, just you know, for whatever reason, I just I found myself having to concentrate more on his words to make sure I was understanding him. I just that that annoyed me slightly. Um but yeah, uh Captain Jack, yeah, I, I kind of felt like his accent was shifting I, I and I'd have to watch again and pay closer attention to be sure. But I kind of got the feeling that he was going broader in his accent with a purpose being, you know, more, oh, harmless little old me when when he was going too strong with it. And when things had, you know, calmed down and they'd make contact and um, he was instead trying to throw out the hints that uh, that there was a problem that it seemed to go quieter. Like I said, that. I don't know that I'm right. I I need to watch again, but it, it didn't bother me as much. He's
0: it, it was a it was a kind of a complex uh acting job. Uh to for not only to put on a fake accent, but to have to communicate at different levels, you know, that he's that there's something he wants to say and can't. Mm-hmm. Um and enjoy, like the scene in the tube when um he and Marcus and Stephen are approaching the city and he starts to say something and then he stops and he can't, and there's a musical sting to try to put a point on it. But then, um, they, uh, start, uh, they start joking about the, uh, the fake marriage thing again. And he's, uh, laughing and slapping, um, Stephen's shoulder at the same time. That's, I thought that I thought that was pretty effective. I thought mm-hmm. on balance Donovan Scott did a great job in the role. His
2: performance was good. I just wish they would have let him speak in his natural voice because it took me out of the episode so many times mm-hmm. that I had trouble enjoying what was otherwise a very good performance. Because I, I agree that it was multifaceted and there were there were layers to what he was doing, but I feel like even maybe if he hadn't been focusing on trying to keep that accent going, we would have seen even more depth <laughs> from the performance because mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was just a Giant, like, red X across the screen every time he opened his mouth, which is too bad because I liked his dialogue. I, as a Mm -hmm. character, I really, I warmed to this guy. He was, he was fun. And, and actually his, the, the temptation of the the Insta heat packs and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the food and stuff was, that was just another little delightful thing that you could see the interaction between Stephen and Marcus. Marcus is, he's he's mm-hmm. an old hand at this. Like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't have, uh we don't have contact <laughs> with, with this guy, but it smells so good. And, and honestly,
1: and then that was. And had a little Vorlon and yeah, it's know, all
2: good. <laughs> and to me that, that kind of screamed uh that this is yet another reference to Lord of the Rings as somebody who's read Lord of the Rings a gazillion times um in lord of the rings the poor characters are eating cram c-r-a-m which is just like mm. you know oats and, and berries and stuff stuck together in a little cake and it doesn't mm-hmm. taste very good so that's like their meal bars and then the insta heats are like the Lemba bread that they get uh in lothlorien which is delicious stuff so i was i was feeling the lord of the rings vibe again in that scene too
1: mm. huh okay And I also like the fact that, um, you know, yet again, you know, JMS takes a position of authority and puts a woman in charge and not Mm -hmm. just a woman, but a rather stunning woman. Um, So um, that was I remember the first time around watching this and my and my eyebrows going up like going, oh, yes, he went there um, to uh, introduce the fact that the Mars Resistance is being led by this um, stunning model of a woman. Uh, yeah, I she, really liked that.
2: She looked so familiar to me, and I remember having the same experience the first and second and third times I've watched through Babylon Five. And I've I've looked through, and I I cannot figure out where. I thought that I knew her from. She's been in some stuff that I've seen, so I guess maybe she just mm-hmm. made such an impact in smaller roles and earlier things, but I have not been able to figure out why she looked so, so gosh darn familiar to me. But she, she you're right, she's very striking, yeah. and I think maybe maybe she's just so striking that I saw her in something previously, and her face just sort of stuck with me. I don't know.
1: Possibly. Yeah, she, she and... Um... I think it was uh, Landy who played second in command, but we're both uh, from the murder. She wrote pipeline. That's true. <laughs> I did see that. Uh, so, um, but yeah, uh, this, this episode really worked for me. The, the technicalities as well. Uh, once they get there establishing their identities, the Mars resistance is taking no chances. Um, and then you get the bit where uh, Captain Jack is the one that handles their identity cards. Um, and uh, puts Marcus and uh, Stephen in danger by sh- shifting them so that the uh, test results come back uh, as not a match. Um, so I thought, you know, that, like you said, you know, not just dialogue, but plotting wise, um, this was a really strong thread. Um, so the, and with a little bit of pathos at the end that Captain Jack has enough of his own willpower long enough to kill himself and end the threat of the Keeper, even as that tendril comes crawling over his shoulder again. Oh, my God, that was creepy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, a little little time about the Keeper. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was watching it this time, I was surprised at how little we actually saw of the Keeper, and I wondered if people would have trouble drawing a connection to the thing that we've seen on the regent's shoulder and on londo's shoulder and i think as i recall from the first time i watched it i didn't have a problem with that at all but i was the kind of guy obsessively watching um reading the lurker's guide at the time and things like that so uh, was it clear enough that this was the same thing
2: um i steven immediately said oh is that the same is that the same kind of little thing that that is on um, Mr. Pastel's shoulder and you know future Londo's shoulder, and I didn't really answer him, but I said, well, you know, but so it, it, <laughs> it because because very clearly it is it is supposed to be at least similar. Um, so yeah, I think that was clear enough.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember having any trouble making the connection either uh, the first time I watched. So um, and it just I remember it making sense at the time because um, we had seen. Um, just how deep the shadow influence um, had worked its way in on Earth um, before the shadow war and everything, and uh, and the shadows themselves are gone. But you know, as they said, you know, the, their their allies are still around. Um, so yeah, I I think you know as long as people are you know generally paying attention, that um, it, there was enough information for the connection to be there. Okay, anything else about Mars, or shall we move back to the station? I think
2: that's I think that's about it for for Mars anyway. Again, just right. just mentioning Stephen's excitement at uh, uh-huh. not just the not just the sets, but he he really um, was very intrigued that they're starting to set up stuff on Mars that we've actually got like an important piece of the plot that's mm-hmm. that's someplace other than Babylon 5, because even the few yep. times that that's happened before um, it has, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been a, a huge a huge deal, and this feels mm-hmm. you know at least as big as the Centauri stuff that we had before, oh
1: yeah,
0: I also think that this sort of highlights you know Stephen Franklin is a doctor in his mm-hmm. and his character's role on the show has been to be the doctor, and now a war is over, so they've kind of artfully found something for him to do here yeah. um to to send him off. He, he is part of the command staff, but he's not quite as busy as he would have been. So this is a good way to keep the actor and the character busy. Um, I wonder what it might have been like if this had been an Ivanova and Marcus trip. But...
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: oh, man. I'm sure the fanfic but- is out there.
0: Yeah, but I think Uh that on balance, the story demands, especially this particular episode, I think the story demands that uh, Ivanova is running the station, not or helping to run Mm -hmm. the station, not going off on a side mission, a side quest, as it were. Mm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, meanwhile, back on the station, uh, we have... um, Garibaldi, um which you know we haven't seen a huge amount of him, you know since he has stepped back just bits and pieces, and we finally get a couple or th- several really strong, long conversations with the character um so uh which you know, as I said in our summary, you know Sheridan goes to try to talk to him twice, and twice it turns out to be a mistake because they wind up blowing at each other or you know hitting one another in the case of Garibaldi um. And in the middle of all this, we get this group of black-clad guys out of nowhere who <laughs> want to talk to him. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't look, look suspicious th- at all.
0: No, no, of course not. <laughs> <sighs> we're back. If we're back to Babylon 5 form in terms of uh, plotting and setting up mysteries and all that stuff, we also appear to be back in B5 form when it comes to casting guest heavies.
2: Oh, really? See, I actually <laughs> thought that the Mr., you know, fuzzy gray hair. I I liked him. I liked his style. Really? I thought it was a I thought it, yeah, I thought that was a good performance. I didn't feel like that was bad at all. He had a a very distinctive way of speaking, but to me it didn't feel like it was forced or over the top. It was just that was just sort of his uh his
0: style. Well, I'm I'm not just talking about him, but I'm talking about the extras surrounding him.
2: Oh, okay. Um, well, there we're on the same page.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I'm I'm uh, yeah, I didn't completely buy the, you know, the, the the all of the men all dressed in black and, you know, hovering <clears> in the <throat> background the first time and then um getting Garibaldi alone to to talk. Um yeah, I, I, performance-wise, I don't know that it completely worked for me either, but you know, I I don't know. Um
0: it's also interesting trying to figure out where a Mr. gray-haired man is coming from because he argues two sides of the he, he argue, argues both sides of the uh, question here. He tells Garibaldi that what's going on isn't good for everybody including not good for the president. Mm-hmm,
2: but then mm-hmm. he
0: turns almost on a dime to talk about how Sheridan is sabotaging his own cause because Hmm. he's uh, buying into his own mythology so what what this guy's angle is is really unclear to me at this point
2: yeah you're right you know and i remember noting that that the first in that first little bit he mentions the president and i was like ugh, great one of those and then Mm -hmm. later on it seems like he's trying to convince garibaldi sort of from the other side because you know garibaldi still seems to want the same things that sheridan does he's just not wanting sheridan to be a godlike figure at the head of it and yeah so i don't know if he is is just changing his tune to try to convince garibaldi uh, to do whatever it is that he wants garibaldi to do uh, i guess turn over sheridan um or if he just is not very good at his job i don't know <laughs>
0: There's definitely a uh, what's this guy's angle, whose side are you on kind of thing going on. And I don't know if I don't know if that was clear enough in the writing or if it is intentionally ambiguous.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is JMS. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think. And for me, part of what bothered me about this whole thing was really feeling for the first time that, you know, something's. Yes, we've gotten hints that, you know, Garibaldi has been interfered with. Something's happened. But here's, like, the first time when it's, like, really affecting the character, in my opinion. Because what what Garibaldi's talking about in theory, um, the, you know, the idea of a leader who grows to believe his own hype and that sort of thing. Yeah, that happens. Yes, that, that is a thing. Mm-hmm. But I there is no evidence being presented that Sheridan is believing this. Other people around him may be trying to imprint on him, but Sheridan is not encouraging it. Sheridan is just trying to keep getting things done. Maybe it's a bad thing that he's ignoring this a bit, but you know, the disconnect between what Garibaldi thinks he's seeing and what's really happening in this particular episode got really, really separated for me.
0: You know, I I noticed that, but I liked that. Um, I liked I liked the fact that Sheridan and Garibaldi are clearly working out, trying to work out what's happened and what's going on, and one of these two is seeing it more clearly than the other, and that happens sometimes. You know, there, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a i I don't think that there's a need to create sort of a false equivalency of uh, who's in the right and who's wrong. Um, in this episode, Sheridan is clearly not believing his own hype, but he is, you know, seeing his responsibilities very clearly, and he's, he is very, very pissed with Garibaldi for getting in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, we know from his convers from Sheridan's conversations with Delin and from what we watch and the way Sheridan reacts to uh the Brakiri woman, um. When she comes at him the second time he confronts Garibaldi, Uh, we know that Garibaldi is wrong. But we also see that Garibaldi fully believes what Garibaldi is saying. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, Stephen, Stephen, after the episode was done and I was sort of quizzing him on how he felt, he said that he he feels like this turn against Sheridan – Feels abrupt, but he can't tell if that is the sort of mind brainwash thing that's going on with him from being kidnapped and everything, or if it's just that he has changed his mind like this. So whatever it is, it has it has stood out as something that has happened starkly and quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. And the the only thing that like really got to me was the only thing that I felt was wrong about Sheridan's decision uh, when he started talking to them was you know was. Escalating in public, you know that that. I mean, I don't know how he would have convinced Michael to like let us go find somewhere quiet, let's go hash this out in private and figure it out. I don't know that he could have convinced Garibaldi to go with him. But the the minute people start staring, as their voices mm-hmm. start raising, is you know the point where I'm going like, okay, Sheridan, you're being you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> like you did it wrong with Lita that time. uh Think about this. Um, and the, and what really struck me, I had forgotten. The scene where Sheridan admits, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And I was very glad to see that, uh, that here at least he thought about it, realized that that was a dumb move, and said so. Um, so I really liked that bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and a bit of a, um, a bit of a shout out to people who it's, I, I don't think it's really a spoiler to say this, but, uh, Brakiri woman. Yes. We will, we will see her again. Oh, well, okay. not the Bakiri well, woman, but the actress.
2: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah.
0: Cool. Carrie Dobro. Do- mm-hmm. Carrie Dobro yeah. will show up as a character in the Babylon 5 spinoff, Crusade, mm. a- about which more we will not say.
1: Fair enough. Yes. But yes, that was cool to to suddenly see her pop up. Under, I was like, uh, isn't that? Yes, it is.
0: And we saw the credits, and yes, yes, it was.
1: Yes. Okay. Um... There's only a few scenes involved, but I feel like they stood out. We, I feel like we got Ivanova back after she's been, like, quiet for mm-hmm. quite some time. Um, I absolutely adored the way she came in, and uh, as soon as she finished, like, reporting and touching base, she turns around and argues Sheridan into taking a couple of days off. Um, and just the most perfect Ivanova manner, which apparently she learned from Sheridan.
2: (laughs) It was so delightful. I just, I love watching those two characters interact. They, Mm -hmm. I mean, from the very beginning, when he joined the show, it, they, they sold it that these two characters have a backstory that they have been friends and colleagues for a long time. And this is just another in a long series of proof of that. I just really liked it.
0: I love that long shot at the end of the scene where, uh, where he keeps trying to find one more thing and primarily through nonverbals uh, Ivanova ushers him out. And bye bye. I I and I, <laughs> I I particularly appreciate that they don't use um close ups and such to exaggerate it. She, she just it she's just at the desk, she makes the gesture, the it holds on the long shot, and that is perfectly fine. I like that.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that entire scene was good and uh the scene where she gathers the the smugglers around um to lay out her plan and convince them. I I, I wanted to punch the air a couple of times. <laughs> um it has been so long since I feel like I've seen Ivanova take control of a situation, lay it out, um, and counter every argument uh the way she does. Um and you know, there I thought the the actors, the the guest the the guest actors did a reasonable job. Um, of you know, they're they're scared; they don't necessarily want to commit, but they're kind of caught over a barrel. Um, I just thought that entire scene worked pretty well.
0: I did too, up until the point of you seeing anybody.
1: Yeah, that's true. Mm. That,
0: that, that that didn't that, have to
1: be
2: there.
0: That <laughs> did not have to be there.
2: And her reaction was not i mean i don't know what i would have wanted her reaction to be but that wasn't it i guess
0: no that was that that felt a little too lumati to me
1: mhm here here yeah that's true um but but other than that it really worked for me um it's uh, plus i think technically it's it's a good plan uh to have these guys Uh, working to bring the things they need into the station, use their talents and give them the um, give them what they need as far as upgrading their ships. Um, I think the only thing that I would question as far as uh, what they're doing is, um, you know, are there no alien races that can lend a hand, whether it's just simply, you know, moving the goods away from the station, from uh, a ship, a human ship uh, out in the middle of nowhere To an alien ship and then the alien ship brings the stuff in. That's the only Mm. question I had is why not use their alien allies a little bit more uh, to supply the station, you know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to help in, you know, efforts to take back Earth. I mean, that's an internal thing.
2: But I I feel like at least that scene, they couldn't have it wouldn't have worked if they had brought alien pilots into that particular you know Mm boardroom in that scene so i mean my sort of headcanon is just that they have good relations with pretty much all of the alien races because they all banded Mm -hmm. together to defeat the shadows and the vorlons so anything that they they need help from other planets with they pretty much already have and can just ask them to do that so i i would think that the best way to go about convincing a bunch of human pilots is to sort of leave the alien side out of it for now, because you never know how many of these pilots are sort of somewhat at least buying into the anti-alien rhetoric that is coming from back Mm -hmm. on Earth. So maybe once they get them on side for this, then they could, you know, sort of filter in a little bit more alien assistance as they go along and have some handoffs happening that aren't right at Babylon 5. But I mean, you know, the aliens aren't going to really be able to get their hands on earth-based stuff too much anyway because right. nobody from right. earth is trading with with aliens if they uh, value right. their ships and their lives
0: i don't yeah. think they're they're going to get replacement equipment for a star fury from the drazi right. or the game
1: yeah. right yeah okay um okay and uh the last of our plot threads uh Woohoo! <laughs>
2: I got to tell you, Stephen laughed out loud at that. He was he was okay. very amused at that line. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I I did not. That that was the point, point. and I don't know how much of it was the actors being able to sell that discomfort so beautifully. But man, I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: it yeah. was it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I,
2: I also, I mean, I felt, I think I, I'm with you, Shannon, and that I felt the cringy discomfort of it, but I think I, from it on a different level just really enjoyed it because that is exactly the kind of cringy discomfort that you would you would feel if you were in that situation and i thought that the the woohoo and sheridan's reaction like his multi-layered reaction at first he's sort of mortified and then he sort of almost gets a little half grin because he's like yeah baby and i mean <laughs> it was the perfect way to diffuse all of that awkwardness was 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 the end of that scene i, just, oh, I loved it.
1: oh god
0: yeah and, and- Yes, this is goofy. Yes, this is played for laughs and all this stuff. But there is an actual sincere undertone to this. About Dolin's, absolutely right. This is a ritual that is important to her. Mm-hmm. She's not putting mm-hmm. it on to make him dis- uncomfortable or to, um, or or for the television audience's benefit. Uh, you know, this means something to her and mm-hmm. and it makes and- sense
1: coming off of atonement. I mean, you know, she's mm-hmm. just gone through this huge personal journey uh to affirm her feelings for Sheridan and to be allowed to um to perser- to continue their relationship. So, it does make sense that, you know, she's like, "Okay, uh what's next? You know, let's uh, you know, let let's keep going and, you know, we've got all this stuff going on." Uh, I guess part of it for me is the notion that there are so many of these rituals and, you know, his, his Sheridan's deer in headlights look as as <laughs> she starts counting on her fingers to 47, no 50. And he's just like, oh, dear God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, and also. <sighs> I understand what JMS was going for in how Delenn describes the ritual, They talk about pleasure centers and finding those pleasure centers, but. And and that kind of dialogue, referring to sex like that can be funny. It wasn't It wasn't as funny for me in this particular situation as it was just mildly excruciating. I felt just slightly like this was my grandparents trying to talk about sex. And I don't <laughs> oh, know no. why. I don't know why.
2: <laughs> oh, that's
1: funny. I don't know if it's because Dylan is always such, you know, most of the time, you know, in control and uh in a and a calm character and and serene you know um, if i'm looking at her through Lanier's eyes or something that you know, I, I don't know
0: she don't was know. perfectly she was perfectly in control she was mm-hmm. perfectly serene she wasn't doing euphemisms, she was being kind of matter of fact i thought about it and <laughs>
2: I don't know if it was totally matter-of-fact, because she had that glimmer in her eye that showed that she knew exactly how that statement, even though it was a matter-of-fact statement, she knew how that statement was going to play and how it was going to be received by him on the
0: other end. She was was doing a sales job there. Yes, she was. Mm -hmm. I will grant you that.
2: (laughs) And the the whole fact of, you know, a bunch of people just being in the other room to sort of witness, it (laughs) it seems on the surface, you know, at first... a gut reaction from anybody in, you know, North America at this time is going to be, oh, my God, ew, ew. However, if you look back in history there were plenty of times when, you know, especially if it was the the ruler of a country or, you know, somebody of importance where the marriage and the, uh, you know, the the child that's going to come of the marriage is a really important thing. That would actually happen. Like that was a thing where it would either be somebody in the next room or possibly somebody literally in the same room witnessing the act. So it's not like this is without precedent on earth either. It's just that that's not a thing that happens anymore, at least not so much as far Mm -hmm. as I know.
0: And there's right. also a really good point there that uh Delin says that one of the reasons that they are there is to ensure that things don't go too far mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's actually remarkably remarkably thoughtful and cautious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh, um if if things go you know leaving it to the imagination about what too far <laughs> right. says you know that that could be uh Ha ha ha! They got too, uh, they got too excited in what they're doing for before they're actually married, or something much darker. And mm-hmm. that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> still, <laughs> still, I admit, I, I I cringed a whole lot on that on that particular one, but but yeah, uh, there there is stuff to be pulled apart for it um let's see uh is there anything else from steven that uh you haven't already brought up um not
2: really i mean he when uh, the 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 men in black approached garibaldi toward the end of the episode he was just like i don't trust these guys i don't know who they are and i was like well <laughs> no surprise you not there. supposed to yep <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yep good good call good call and then afterwards i asked him you know how did how did you like that one he he very cheerily just said ah, it was all right I, like, he liked the Mars thing. He liked – so it was – this one didn't knock him over with anything, but he he mm-hmm. seemed to enjoy it. I mean, the word that he used was all right, but the tone in which he said it made it seem like it, it was, was much more enjoyable than that okay. would okay. lead you to believe. Okay. Pleasant.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's pleasant. It moves things along. Yeah. uh, But it is not a uh, massively important episode. Mm-hmm. And or yeah, at least his, it doesn't reveal itself as such.
2: Yeah, and his reaction as we were watching it was, I mean, he was he was into it, he was paying attention, he was laughing at the right places. So so yeah, I think he enjoyed the experience of watching it.
1: Okay. All right. Uh then uh we will move on to spoiler space in a minute, but first for those of you who are watching the first time around uh and have to leave us in a few minutes, uh the next episode is Lines of Communication. And, uh, we are, of course, are always available on, uh, Twitter and Tumblr, uh, at B5 Audio Guide. And you can come at our, to our website, b5audioguide.com and join the chat threads. And wow, we've had some great discussion on, of atonement. So, you know, those of you, if you haven't looked in for a while, go take a look and join in because uh, there's lots of uh, lots of great talk happening over there.
0: And we've uh, had a couple of people uh, showing up recently who have just started on uh, B5 Audio Guide and are starting from the beginning and working their way up and leaving comments. So mm-hmm. um, uh, listeners, feel free to uh, pop back in and respond to those.
1: Absolutely. Okay, and with that, uh, let's take a jump gate. Spoilers! And we're back. And uh, I think the the things I had noticed, of course, the the introduction of Mars itself is huge because Mars is going to be uh, a, play a big role in the freeing freeing of Earth. Um, and the other thing that leaped out at me uh, is that this is the beginning of the William Edgar's storyline mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, for Garibaldi that is going to help lead us to the telepath war in season five. Um, So uh, what sorts of things did we notice my kicking off here? My biggest thing that I noticed
2: was, oh, actually not the William Eggers thing, but the Mars side, just Marjorie Monaghan talking about number one again. I didn't want to, I didn't want to crow too much in, uh, Pre-spoiler space, because, you know, you never know how much a a side character is going to appear again. But we're going to see her Mm -hmm. again and again. And I love her so much. Not only is she a striking woman, but her performance is just spot on. The way that she interacts with Steven, especially. The Mm -hmm. chemistry is there and she's just got this sort of dry. Like, I believe her as the leader of a resistance organization. I think she is is strong and powerful and just she's great. I love her
0: she's going to replace Garibaldi as the um secure as the interstellar alliances
2: uh,
1: oh my god, i forgot about that Yeah,
0: yeah see yeah. she's <laughs> just
2: a uh, a door a door
1: yep
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah sup, sup, super super prescient casting yep by yeah. by the casting agent there yes um yeah
0: she she even gets second building in this episode to uh number two, which is a little odd uh given where we uh where we think that where we know that this is going to go. But, oh, uh, is it
1: order of appearance? I mean, he, yeah, I he showed so. first. Yeah,
0: I think so, yeah. But uh, she she takes the ball and runs with it, that's for sure.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, the fact that, you know, she and Steven immediately hit it off. She, you know, she immediately um, starts relying on his expertise as he pulls apart the keeper corpse, uh, that sort of thing. That's going to pay off, you know, down the line when they pull off the really risky... Uh, Can we do this move of putting the um, cryogenically frozen telepaths into uh, the Earth warships to disable them um, so that they can uh, get past them with minimal loss of life? Uh, You know, the, the trust between the two of them starts immediately and makes it easier for them to pull off such big demands down the road. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also like that uh, Marcus sort of helps nudge them together a little bit, uh-huh. because, uh, because at the end of this episode, she's, uh, she's uh, sort of inviting them both, or just non-specifically inviting to dinner or whatever, and... Uh, Marcus says, you go along. That makes it a little less jarring in future episodes when she basically treats Marcus like dirt uh, <laughs> and shows clear favoritism to uh, Stephen.
2: As she's saying it, though, she is looking right at Stephen. She does not look oh, yeah. at her, her. eyes don't even flick over to Marcus for a split second. So I feel like that was just sort of Marcus. Yeah, Marcus just up picked up on, on
1: that and mm-hmm. it's like, like, I can smooth relations here. I can do this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's a he's a yeah. ranger. He's a facilitator. He knows how to get things done.
0: Mm.
1: Indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um let's see anything else Marsish um the distrust between Mars resistance and everybody else is pretty is good to establish mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. from here on from here on out even all the way up through Crusade. Um yeah. absolutely no love lost between uh, Mars and Earth and uh they have no reason to believe that the Babylon five staff will be any kinder to Mars than earth Alliance. So Mm -hmm. having that suspicion there is good to establish and that will continue.
1: Yep. Uh, Yeah. I can't immediately think of anything else off the top of my head from this episode. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, That that reflects that forward. I, I do like seeing how, big a deal the Keepers are. This is the first time yes. that we find out that the Keepers once they're in, they're never out. Yeah. Uh, so oh, not only yeah. do we get the tragedy of Captain I'd Jack. I'd forgotten about that. But now we know why Londo. Basically why why Londo has to be strangled. Why Londo has to die in the future. Um, yeah. That there's no That there's not an easy way there's not an easy way out of this. Um... Although I'm going to have to, the, uh, I, I I do not recall. I'm going to have to do a little bit of uh, digging, but at the end of season five, Londo presents an urn with a keeper in it for yes. uh, Sheridan and delin's future son. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Centauri Prime, trilogy of novels goes into what happened with that and what dylan was talking about when she tells future Sheridan that our that son, our is, son safe. is safe right i i think they may have figured out a way mm-hmm. to get a keeper off of a person by that time you know that, uh, that but i need to so, but i need to re-
2: yeah that doesn't surprise me at all because i mean it, captain jack himself is kind of just a low-level schlub in this spy organization even if there was a way to remove a keeper even at this point, he's not a guy that would necessarily know about it, and they do have oh, no. a lot of, you know, there's there's still some shadow technology lying around certain places. There might be some Vorlon stuff around that we haven't we haven't seen yet. Lita has, you know, been altered by the Vorlons. There might be some sort of thing they can look at. I mean. They, with, with research and technology and just, you know, good old trying real hard, there's, I, I don't see why there would be no way to ever remove one of these things in the lifetime of, of these characters. So I'm, I'm fine yeah. with, with this just being a thing that this guy says, but not necessarily being the case forever and ever.
0: Forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: At this yeah. point, that's, that's, at this point, mm-hmm. there seems to be no way. What, what got me there was the implication, um, that he had tried. Yes. To get rid of yeah. it. Yeah and found out that at least what he personally can do he can't get rid of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that's something I don't think I'd picked up previously watching it before.
0: Mm-hmm. One wonders where he picked up the keeper. Oh yeah. One wonders how exactly, you know, I don't think that the, the unless he got himself good and stinking drunk, um the I don't think that the keeper would have let him try to remove it, but um what else did this guy see? You know, yeah. when he when he was when he was captured by the Drock or whatever, you know. What else did he see? Who else did he see get a keeper slapped on them? Really grim stuff. And oh, yeah. by the way, we're going to see the Drock for the first time next episode.
1: Right. Oh, right. Wow.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and and here we thought things were going to be calm for a while after they finished the Shadow War.
0: <laughs> yeah no <laughs> uh Wade um, can I talk about Wade
1: you may talk about sure. Wade and how we wind up getting into um trying to um end all telepaths with a with a virus yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, well um so there was, I had forgotten that how loquacious Wade was in his first appearance i tended to write the character off because the actor is just sort of rough around the edges, tough guy sort of stuff, but even in this episode um he's um he, he he's got he's got a bit of a mouth on him and at least the impression at least enough education to make him think to himself that he's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Uh By the time we get to the end of the Edgar's arc, um, he is talking about evolution and natural selection like he's come out of the Trump White House or something. (laughs) Um, uh, He's, um, yeah, I have always had mixed feelings about this character and this actor and the the melding of the two characters because he's clever, but he's also a tough guy, and I could never decide which was authentic.
2: Yeah, I will admit that the first time through, I did not like him at first. And I think that he grew on me a bit or I just got used to him by the time I had watched the series a few times. So I didn't want to specify that in spoiler space and kind of, you know, share that he was going to be around a bit and and be kind of an important character. But I think the first time that I saw it, maybe even the second time through, I was I was not hot on his character or his performance. But somewhere along the line, I guess I just I don't know familiarity familiarity breeds not contempt um you used- I just got used to him I guess
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there's no reason that he there's no reason that he couldn't be a clever guy or um a thoughtful guy just even though he's even though he's in the job and he's got sort of the char- characteristics and vocal characteristics and physicality of of another person but yeah it just it, it it's. it was hard for me to uh, put a finger on him, and it still is a little bit.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, for me, he just, I guess for me, it wasn't necessarily that, at least at this point in the story, that he was clever as much as, you know, my impression was that he'd clearly been sent by somebody, and he'd clearly been drinking somebody's Kool-Aid uh, in, in reciting and repeating uh, the different issues about mm-hmm. one man taking over... Uh, a cause that sort of thing that that kind of felt to me like he was parroting somebody that had sent him um and if that is the case, you know then that works for me um I'm trying to remember you know how 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 he gets uh later on i i don't remember as clearly as you do chip um some of the things he winds up talking about um such as you know natural selection and so forth okay, can we think of anything else that uh gets started here or? That this continues in the future that we haven't already talked about? Mm -hmm. Not really. I mean,
2: there is that scene, the elevator scene, the woohoo scene that uh, that (laughs) did sort of make me think to the future. And, you know, think about how uh, poor Lanier. I mean, yeah, it sucks what he ends up doing. But the fact that. That he has to stand there in the other room Mm -hmm. while the woman that he is so clearly in love with is, you know, having the the early stages of getting it on with with somebody else. Like it just the more that I pay attention with his
0: with the rival for his affections.
2: Right. The more that I pay attention to. This particular thread of the plot, the more that I see that everything really is fairly well built toward the decision that Lanier originally makes. I think I just fell in love with him as a character so much my first time through that it came as a shock. And that was simply because I wasn't paying close enough attention to all of the signs that were pointing in that direction.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I I actually think I was... That crossed my mind when I was watching the episode, but I feel like we've been sort of jumping on Lanier so much in Spoiler Space the last couple of episodes, I wasn't sure I wanted to bring it up. So I didn't put it in our notes, but yeah, it's totally fair point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Easiest money Bill Moomy made, though. He got it's he tr- got his one line in the episode. Woohoo.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Well, then I guess that wraps up this episode for this time around. Uh, Again, our next episode is Lines of Communication. And again, we can be found on b5audioguide.com and Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide. And next time, Chip will lead us through. And until then, I hope everyone has a good one. This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5.